0: You're listening to the Better Together podcast, brought to you by the National Association of Free Will Baptists. Welcome to the Better Together podcast, where we look for ways we can work together <laughs> to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we have with us writer and theologian Dr. Robert Pickreely. He's the former academic dean at uh, was Free Will Baptist Bible College now Welch College in Nashville, Tennessee, <laughs> which now is located outside of Nashville in Gallatin, Tennessee, and so you probably know Dr. Picarelli. He's written several uh, wonderful books about theology, about the Bible, about history. And Dr. <clears throat> Picarelli, it's so good to have you here with us today. Thank you, Brother Eddie. I, I appreciate the opportunity very much. Well, <clears throat> I'm just thrilled to death that you've got this book that's been published by b uh, God and Eternity and Time, A New Case for Freedom, for Human Freedom. And what's so interesting is that Christianity Today recently recognized this as a, a finalist for the book of the year in the academic theology section. So this is a pretty high honor, well-deserved honor, but it's kind of exciting to see one of our own that's noted and
1: appreciated in this way. Well, thank you for picking up on that. I, um, I do appreciate that recognition. I guess that's the right word to use for it. Um It's gratifying. It's satisfying. That doesn't make the book any better or worse than it was anyway, Uh, but um, at least it's nice to know that some of the people who um, focus on theological books uh, uh, gave it some attention and um, gave it some recognition, and I'm very grateful. And, uh, of course, the right thing to say, but I really do feel it all. Glory to the Lord for for whatever kind of recognition it may give.
0: Well, I'm hoping this recognition will lead people <clears throat> to read it, and uh, maybe not just read God and Eternity and Time, but read Grace, Faith, Free Will, and uh, read some of the other books that you've written, because it just shows that it's what you're putting out is quality material, and it's helpful. It's really <clears throat> helpful to the kingdom. I got to start though. A lot of ball games you can go to, a lot of things you could be doing. What led you to write this book? <clears throat>
1: Well, of course, the subject of um, free will versus divine determinism has been uh, a subject I've dealt with in other books as well, and so I've, I've been interested in that a long time. <clears throat> uh, I guess what got me started was that um, a theologian in Canada uh, was reviewing my book, Free Will Revisited, um a respectful response to Luther Calvin and Edwards <clears throat> And um, he was very nice about it. He wanted to um, send me each uh, uh, each example of of uh, uh, dealing with it that he was going to publish on his blog, mm-hmm. but he wanted to send it to me first to make sure that he was not misrepresenting me in any way and giving me an opportunity for feedback before he actually published, (coughs) which I appreciated. Well, that led to him and me having um, lengthy email exchanges about all the various theological doctrines that um, distinguish between Calvinism and Arminianism. And so that had led to some things (coughs) that I was thinking. And then in addition to that, my grandson, who is uh, a doctoral candidate at seminary in the field of apologetics, uh, was at my house one night and, and asked me what I thought about some of the attributes of God, such as God's simplicity or the fact that um, God does not change or the fact that... Um, God is is a simple being versus a complex being, things of that sort, <clears throat> which are sort of standard theological um, uh, definitions of things, but um, they grow more out of uh, philosophy and rationality than they do out of actual biblical exposition and so anyway those things had got me thinking along certain lines and i started just writing down some things for myself <clears throat> writing things helps me sort them out and uh, figure out what i think about them <clears throat> so uh, that's what got me started doing it and uh, after a bit i realized uh, this uh, this could be a different approach entirely to the subject of uh, free will versus determinism, and that's really what uh, what got me into it. <clears throat> that's good.
0: And so a lot of our folks have read Grace, Faith, Free Will, and know that you dealt uh, with free will in that particular volume. But you say this is kind of a
1: different approach to free will, freedom. <clears throat> uh, how how is that? Well, yeah, that's that's what I'd really like to talk about a little bit. Um, it is a different approach. It's not an approach to the subject of, of uh, free will versus divine determinism that I've ever seen uh, anywhere else. So it's just something that uh, I thought um, would develop and would be helpful. Anyway, <clears throat> my point can be summarized by saying that um, the attributes of God, as we think of them— um, Are oftentimes based on philosophical assumptions about God. Um, And uh, they don't necessarily derive directly from the Bible. Um, For example, you think about um, God as being immutable, that's one of the fancy words that theologians use. To describe the fact that God doesn't change. And all of us would agree with that. And the scriptures itself say uh, the Lord says, I'm the Lord, I do not change. So God doesn't change. And yet, when you stop and think about the fact of what not changing means, and what that has to do with what we know about God, you realize that um, it's a two-sided kind of truth. There are some things that uh, don't seem to fit with that as well as other things that do seem to fit with that very well. Uh, If God doesn't change um, at all in any way, then um, you ask yourself the question, how could he create this world? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that's a new kind of activity. Nobody believes that, the uh, the cosmos, the created order, is eternal. It had to have a beginning. Uh, so um, there's something there about what God is doing. If you emphasize his immutability, the fact that he can't change too much, you would rule out the possibility of creation. So in light of the fact that God doesn't change, and we all would agree with that, <clears throat> to think of the fact that he created this world in which we live and created us uh, as human beings who bear his image, that's bound to have some great significance to it. Mm. It really must mean something. And I think what it means is that in this world that he created uh, and among human beings whom he created, that's the way God has chosen to act That's the way God has chosen to reveal himself. And when we want to do theology, we ought to approach theology from that perspective rather than from just simply uh, coming up with philosophical attributes that we think of uh, out of our own reasoning powers. So that um, uh, if we think about the world and human beings as God interacting with us in time and space, uh, then uh, we can understand who God is better and uh, what his attributes really mean in practical terms and in relationship to us and in relationship to our world. And um, that's the approach that I have taken, especially in the first part of the book, uh, to uh, deal with um, what God is in eternity. Yes, he is unchanging God forever in eternity. And yet, he created time and space. And he's very much involved in time and space. And he's interacting with us in time and space. And knows what we're doing and uh, uh, acts toward us and then responds toward us in the ways we have acted toward him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, that's where we really ought to get our theology, which really means then that what we need to do is go to the Bible to get our theology because it's the Bible that gives us the record of um, what God has done, not only in creating this world but in relating to human beings uh, uh, with uh, influence and response. Uh, rather than just treating them as mechanisms that he causes them to uh, have certain effects. Um, I think theologians often start out uh, with the idea that God back in eternity had these decrees he made and he's running everything and everything is being done according to the way he has predetermined for it to be done. When if you approach it through the matter of the biblical revelation of how God interacts with human beings in time and space— you realize that's not exactly the way he's working with us. Mm. And so we should understand him in terms of the way he's working with us with human beings in time and space. And there are many good biblical examples to illustrate that point. One of the ones you give is Hezekiah.
0: Uh, He was sick and he basically influenced response. He talks to the Lord and the Lord gives him an extension. Um, You also talk about there's places where the Lord repents, the Scripture says, uh, uh, and that's part of how the Lord works with us, and we respond and and work with Him. And I guess what you're saying is, get our theology from the Scripture, as opposed to a predetermined, oh, well, God never changes, or God doesn't have feelings. Look at what the biblical record says and how God interacts and works with people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's look at those two examples for a moment. That you mentioned there. Um, think of Hezekiah. Uh, when you read the Bible, here's what it says: that uh, God sent Isaiah to tell Hezekiah, Hezekiah, your time's up, you're gonna die. Uh, and as far as we can tell, that was what God was planning to do: uh, bring Hezekiah's life to an end. <clears throat> And he was a good man, so we assume he was going to transfer him to the heavenly kingdom to be with himself. Well, anyway, so Isaiah goes and he tells Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the Lord says, put your house in order, you're going to die. So then Isaiah starts to leave. And Hezekiah uh, turns his face to the wall and prays. And he prays for the Lord to grant him an extension. And so before Isaiah can even get away from the temple precincts, um, uh, I said temple precincts I should have said the palace precincts mm-hmm. Where where uh, Hezekiah was Before Isaiah can even get away uh, The Lord uh, says to him Well go back and tell him Hezekiah I've heard your prayer And I'm going to add 15 years to your life Now the point is If we're going to understand that theologically We ought to understand it for just what it says <clears throat> uh, Hezekiah was going to die There's just no question in my mind about it. That's what God had decided to do. And yet when Hezekiah prayed, the Lord decided to add 15 years to his life. And so Hezekiah lived 15 years longer than he was going to live because God uh, heard him and responded to him. Uh, So rather than thinking that back yonder in eternity somewhere, God decided that Hezekiah was going to die or not in a certain way. What we should really think of is that God actually decided for Hezekiah's death, Hezekiah prayed, and God added 15 years to his life, which is what the Scriptures say. And then you mentioned about um, God's repenting. The issue of uh, Jonah going to Nineveh, for example, same kind of thing is involved. Uh, God tells Jonah to go, and after a... A uh, sort of a sidetrack, Jonah winds up in Nineveh saying, yet 30 days, was it, and Nineveh is going to perish. Well, as far as we can tell from reading the scripture, the Lord had decided that because of Nineveh's wickedness that the city was going to be wiped out, destroyed. And yet, uh, what we read in the record is that the Ninevites, including right on to the very top, the very king himself, repented and dressed in sackcloth and ashes and repented of their sins. And so uh, to Jonah's, Jonah's disappointment, the Lord decided not to destroy them. And Jonah said, that's what I thought you'd do all along. That's because Jonah knew the Lord pretty well, I think. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And uh, rather than deciding that uh, somewhere back in eternity, God settled on just what he was going to do to Nineveh, what we should do is come to the biblical record that tells us how God interacted with uh, the people of Nineveh whom he had created in his image and likeness, and uh, that he uh, decided not to uh, destroy them as he did. That's where we ought to get our theology. Mm. And if we will approach the scriptures that way, and do our theology that way, I think we'll come out with the idea that human beings have freedom of the will and mm-hmm. can make real choices in time, which God can respond to in those ways.
0: <clears throat> you talk a lot about foreknowledge. So <clears throat> God knew what Jonah was going to do, and uh, God, but God also gave Jonah, for example, the freedom and gave the Ninevites freedom uh, as well. God knows counterfactuals. You talk about that. And it's the kind of thing that's caused us a lot of difficulties. Mm -hmm. A lot of theologians, if you will, have discussed it and argued with it over the years. How about unpacking that a bit about uh, how God could know the future, but he could also know he could know Jonah could do this, Jonah could not do this. Explain that force,
1: even in light of what we do, deciding whether we're going to, what we're going to do in life. Well, to give a thorough explanation would be more than we have time for in this particular podcast. But um, uh, I did decide to include a part of the book, a fairly large section of the book, on foreknowledge and the various ins and outs of things that are related to the subject of foreknowledge. Because that, too, deals with this matter of the contrast, as we see it, between God in eternity and God acting in time and space in our world. Um, A lot of people seem to believe, well, if God knows the future, then the future is going to have to be the way he knows it or else he'd be wrong and that sort of thing. Uh, And it's really easy for us to get um, fouled up in our thinking along that lines. We just almost have to stop and discipline ourselves and say, well, I'm not going to think that way. Because you don't really have to think that way. The fact that God knows what a person is going to do in the future doesn't mean that person has to do it. The person is free, and he won't make the choice until the time comes to make the choice. He can do uh, this or that, just as Hezekiah could have prayed or not prayed, or Nineveh could have repented or not repented. But the fact that God knows what a person is going to do doesn't affect the choice that the person makes. He only knows that I'm gonna do X or Y or Z, if in fact that's what I'm gonna do, because it's what I'm gonna do that determines or makes certain what I'm going to do. It's just so that God it's just that God knows in advance what I'm going to do. <clears throat> And that means, of course, that God can plan well uh, and uh, can be successful in his plans. But at the same time, it leaves human beings free to make the choices uh, on their own.
0: And so that has a lot to do with what I do individually. I can know that my actions determine what happens in my life and that God is working within me. And as I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about the book you've really got a lot for me as an individual you're let's say a lay person if you will i can go back to the word and i know what i need to do what how i need to live my life but you've also got quite a bit here for a theologian you know what about you know, how does foreknowledge fit? How does all of that fit? What is it you're hoping, let's start out like with a regular type layperson, if you will, that you would hope they would get from this particular book? And then what is it you're kind of hoping that some theologians, uh, people that like to talk about these issues, might get from the book?
1: Well, um, let's acknowledge to start with, it is a theology book. Yes. But at the same time, uh, all Christians are theologians in one way or the other. In fact, all human beings are theologians in one way or the other uh, because theology simply means thinking about God and uh, trying to determine truths about God. So really, what I hope the average, say the average person in our audience, uh, the average uh, person in our churches, uh, what I hope they will get out of this is to realize that God is working with human beings Uh, on the basis of influence and response, not on the basis of cause and effect. That's a sort of a distinction that Leroy Fourlines developed uh, years ago and that I've always appreciated. Uh, God is not the great cause who's making us do the things we do. God deals with us as human beings he created in his image and to whom he gave freedom. And so... um, in uh, giving us opportunities to choose either for him or against him. Uh, and yet uh, relating to us uh, either positively if we choose for him or negatively if, if we choose against him um, means that uh, we are free agents and we are the ones who decide our destinies, so to speak. Now, that doesn't mean that we can do that um as, um, as people who are completely uh, on our own and independent of God, we're not. Um, but God is the one who grants us the gift of freedom to make the choice. And he's the one who enables us to exercise that freedom for him when uh he gives us such those opportunities. He brings to us the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit to uh, use the gospel to convict us of our sins. And then in doing that, makes it possible for us, in spite of our sinfulness, to uh, choose for him. <clears throat> and um, people sometimes say, well, if God is leaving it up to you As to whether to be saved or not, then uh, he can't be a sovereign God. Well, that's not true because, of course, the only thing that you need for God's sovereign to be intact, God's sovereignty to be intact, is for the world to operate as God designed it and for us to operate as He designed us. So if he designed us to operate in freedom, then as long as we're operating in freedom, we're doing it the way he determined by uh, in his sovereignty that it should be done.
0: <clears throat> and so really, the key, uh, I think I hear you saying, is we need to really be about our Bible, taking it and applying it, getting our theology from that, and then... You mentioned Mr. Fourline's influence and response, and you give an example of Pharaoh uh, and how he was in—he was basically went in a particular direction. But there's also the example of Joseph, and we have the free choices becoming hardened more like Pharaoh was, or uh, becoming more what Joseph became as God. Worked in him and the circumstances he encountered, but all of us are having that, and we're we're able to talk to the Lord, and He can turn us or develop us into what He would have us to be. And so, it sounds like you're just you're trying to express to us the importance of really getting into the Word and letting the Word shape how we see the world and understand that we have choices as to what happens.
1: Ultimately, that ought to be the. Um the approach of any theologian or any person who doesn't think of himself as a theologian. Uh, it's the word that matters. And what matters is that we get into the word and let the word shape our theology, let the word shape our minds the way we think so that we um, can order our lives in the way the Lord wants us to order them.
0: <clears throat> well, thank you, Dr. Pick, really. Thank you for stopping by and being with us today and Discussing this book with us, and I want to encourage our listeners to get a copy of it, "God and Eternity and Time" by Dr. Robert E. Picarelli. If you haven't checked out um, his book "Grace, Faith, Free Will" or "Free Will Revisited," we'd encourage you to check those out as well. Um, lots of good books. Basically, uh, even we could even put Paul out there, couldn't we? I could. <laughs> uh, some examples of that. So check out some of the work that. Dr. Picarelli has written, and if you're interested in Free Will Baptist history, check out his several volumes on that issue as well. I think you'll be quite pleased. Thank you, my friend, for joining us today. Thank you very much. <clears throat> we want to thank you, our listeners, for stopping in. Remember, every little thing we do really does matter, and we truly are better when we work together. We're better together. Thank you for joining us today.